Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Folks, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Making Data Simple. As always, I'm going to have a little bit of fun today. Well, I, I never not have fun, but I'm going to have fun today. When we started this and we continue, the title is Making Data Simple, data being the center of the universe. And I, I still continue to say that that's the case. So we've not changed that. But we do look at trending technologies, business innovation, and leadership. And the great news is the guest I have today hits all those categories. This is the gentleman that educated me on what value is in terms of what, what clients want value. And they th think in terms of four things. Cost savings, revenue generation, risk, or market expansion. See, I remember this stuff, Il. You teach oh me. Oh my God, you're really I'm great, Al. <laughs> you're, you're on a roll already. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, well, I, I want to see if those are, are still accurate as we go through this. But so, anyway, welcome to the one and only Il Steinberg. He almost has the perfect name. The perfect name, obviously, being Al. His parents went with Il. They, they added a yeah in there, <laughs> Il. But it's very right. close. It's very close. I'll, I'll give him that. So welcome, my friend. How you been? I'm doing really great. Thank you. And, you know, this is a welcome back. You were uh, kind enough to actually have me on first. And uh, it was a great session. I actually selfishly used that as a little bit of a homage to, to really call out a lot of people who, who helped me. I think I, I reached out and I said, hey, I'd love to come back. And, you know, it was uh, really gracious of you to have me back. And I'm really looking forward to this session. Uh, I think I told you last night, I actually had a really interesting dream where I was getting ready to be on Saturday Night Live and spending time with Lauren and like, getting ready <laughs> anticipation for this ad hoc session. So Al, you are a master and yeah, I appreciate you having me back. Look, I've recently, as you know, have made the switch to sales, my first time in sales. New Year always brings major changes to the, the sales team, maybe even some strategy. I don't know. I wanted to get your take on what the new year means, how, how it's going, what your priorities in the next 90 days or for 2022 for that matter. You know, I, I think of it in the simplest terms in that every company has three major roles. There's the people who build the product. There's the people who sell the product. And then there's the people who count the money in all the back office. And that people, that middle tier of people who sell the product, that's, you know, some people use the term go to market and What's the difference between go-to-market and sales? But you know, go-to-market is, is a superset, I guess, of sales and services and delivery. But everybody has a way is kind of working with customers to understand their requirements, understand how we could fit, and you know, kind of help people get off on their journey. What I would say advice for you, first, first you don't need my advice, right? I, I think if anything, I should be turning I'll around. I'll take it. Give it. Shoot um, it. But I, I would say that um, just like anything new, the fear of newness is worse than typically how things play out. And I see this across almost anything that's new of people kind of making a venture is that you could easily live in your own head and figure out all the stuff you don't know and things that are uncomfortable, but embracing that discomfort and really leaning in and saying, it's likely not going to be as bad as I think it's going to be, which is often the case. And just realizing and stopping that voice a little bit is, is probably number one. I think number two is that the idea of being to perfection or getting to perfection overnight is just not reasonable, right? That there's another saying or like, you know, if you're not making enough mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, you're not pushing yourself enough. That typically like, you know, there's two approaches. Some people who are perfectionists 
will spend all their time rehearsing and then they won't execute until they think they got it. And I think that's a mistake in sales. Just because you're kissing so many frogs to find the prince, right? There's a lot more people, maybe 5% of the people you're going to engage with are in their buying window. They have the business problem that you need to solve, that you can solve, and are actually in the timing is right for them to make a purchase, which means 95% of the people you engage with either are not the right fit or are just the timing is not right. So like thinking about that, that out of 20 people you meet, only one of them is going to be in the buying window. It really kind of gets you to lean in a little bit more to just say, just get out there, make mistakes, right? Like just set up meetings. Even if you don't know it 100%, set it up for Wednesday. And I promise you, knowing you, Alan, you know, the level that you operate at, by the time you get to that meeting, you'll be ready. And I think the third thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with getting a mentor, right? Like one of the best thing about sales, and I've seen this with some of the best salespeople, is there's this like appreciation that somewhere along the way, somebody leaned into them and bet on them. And a lot of really great salespeople want to pay that forward. So, you know, I think don't go it alone, right? Ask for help. You, not that you need any help, but I think it's always nice to have a sounding board as you approach new things and, you know, how do, how do other people overcome it? So that would be my advice. A little formal, but just get out there, do it. Don't try to be perfect and uh, be yourself and have fun. And I'm sure you'll do really, really well. Oh, I think that's great advice. I, I agree with you. The anxiety of the, the future, what, what is a, Churchill? I don't know if this is quite the same thing, but Churchill said, quote was like, there are many problems that I've seen across my life, none of which came true. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, something like bottom line is, uh, it, it's like my daughter used to get on a, she used to love riding roller coasters when she was little, but she would be crying as she's walking up to get on the roller coaster. I'm like, what are you crying for? She, but she loved it. But, and, but she hated that anxiety up, up front. And then once she got off, Hey, let's do it again. I'm like, I'm not going through that again. And I agree with you hundred percent on the mentors. I couldn't agree more for those that listening. Uh, I, I've seen some things lately, trends where people saying, Hey, mentors aren't needed anymore or whatever. I couldn't disagree more. I've got, as I've said many, I've got three formal mentors that I have. I have two external coaches. I use them all, all the time. Not to mention everybody like yourself that I consider a mentor in everyday work. And I've talked to my new team of this, of what I call, this is a Brene Brown thing, crappy first drafts. She uses a different term. You just get started, right? You just get started. And it's amazing how it all works out. And by the way, I'm so glad you called me out on joining sales because I agree with you 100%. Everybody is selling all the time. That's what we do. In fact, I used to go, or when I go with customers, when I have a met with customers you know, face-to-face, but I'd sit in front of them and they'd confuse me as the seller when I was actually there supporting the architecture or something else like that. But back to the sales mission for 2022, how are things changing you know, we just went through a pandemic for two years. I, I'm kind of curious as to has sales changed or, you know, because you're doing everything virtually, but what, what are your plans for 2022? How are you going to go to market differently or are you? Yeah, we, we are. Uh, I think we're constantly kind of redefining this new IBM. Uh, you know, Arvind has now been the CEO for nearly two years and Rob Thomas has played a more active role of kind of bringing the total go-to-market of IBM, modernizing it and really creating this new IBM. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of changes for 2022. Uh, most of it is just increasing our technical skills and really adding much more brand uh, sales capacity. I hate the term capacity because it makes people feel like numbers, but it's this idea of, of brand specialization. Uh, what we hear from customers all the time is the idea of just having the person who's the facilitator, like, hey, I, I can tell you how to bring people in. 
like that is becoming less impactful. What's really more impactful is the challenger seller, right? The person who comes with a point of view has deep domain experience, can add a lot of value on the first sales meeting outside of just bringing people in and the experts, but hands on the keyboard, like show me, don't tell me. Uh, so I think that's a lot of what people should expect from IBM this year. And I think we're, you know, we're really putting our, our uh, money where our mouth is, right? There's a humongous uh, increase to how we're compensating really skilled sellers. Like if I told you how big that pot is growing, uh, it's a big number. It's a number that if when people hear it, they they say, wow, right? It's, it's, it's not a small adjustment. And, you know, I think these are all things that we're doing to attract the best talent, think about career, career progression, work really uh, much uh, more, increase our, our, uh, the way that we work with ecosystem partners. That's a really big shift. And that we're spending a lot more time looking deeper or double-clicking on ecosystems. Is it a resale partner? Is it someone who's a service partner? Is it someone who we're selling to? A lot more formality around something that we kind of had grouped together. Um, so a lot of really exciting things. You know, I, I personally am most excited about how we're interacting digitally, how we're taking marketing and sales and bringing that information together to create a better demand engine. Uh, and it's not just for IBM's benefits, for a customer's benefit, right? Like there is a customer who's interested in a product and they say, hey, contact me. They should get an answer really quickly. And I think we're doing a lot of things to plumb that, to get that to the right technical person as quickly as possible to increase the experience that the customers are having. That's like so Alan, best. You know, IBM is a massive team. Like to do that takes a lot of work. But, you know, I think these are all the changes for the better. And, you know, I, I think uh, we're going to see it play out in 2022. Very good. I mean, that's the best scenario possible when the customer's reaching out to you, is, is it not? I mean, that, that you talk about, it should be like instantaneous response almost. You know, if, if the number of times it actually happens is a mind boggling number. It's, it happens a lot, a lot, every single day from all corners of the earth. And, you know, I, I think the shame is when it takes time to get back and or you get back with someone who's not the right person. I think those are things what I'll call self uh, errors, right? These are things that I think are within our control that we're going to continue to get better at uh, to really increase the, the overall experience. And I think it's going to yield, right? I think it's going to help with productivity. It's going to help the customer experience. It's just going to help, you know, making sure that IBM continues to kind of stay a major player in the space. If, if I was to transport us to this time in 2023, we'll be here before you know it. And we're having this discussion. And I say, hey, IL, how did last year go? What do you think you're going to tell me? So I think it's going to be a great year. I think it's going to be a really, really great year. Momentum doesn't stop, right? When, when momentum starts happening, it just continues to go. And I think we're going to see that momentum continue. I really like the idea of what we're doing around making the customer the rock star. I think that is going to be a right move. And I think the more people see the value that we're delivering to different customers is going to be really well received. A mission, I think IBM has made a lot of investments Sebastian Krauss runs uh, all of sales, uh, technology sales uh, for IBM. He's my boss. And his word for the year is harvest. And I think it's right on, right? Everything that we've done about planting and watering and hard decisions, we're going to really see that harvest in 2022. Uh, so very optimistic. I think we're going to look back and celebrate, you know, how the new IBM has emerged and, you know, the, the benefits of all of that. So you mentioned earlier that I am taking a new position. I'm moving to technology sales as well, taking over the account technical leadership team, which is a new position. And it's essentially taking our top clients and winning the hybrid cloud, the AI platform battle, 
what we do is we set up the architecture, what we, what we term client technical strategies that uses a series of technology decision points. You kind of mentioned some of that, I think, earlier. Uh, and then we land and expand that within the client. Uh, for me, just to finish, because there, there's a question behind this. <laughs> I have three tenants. Is One is to showcase IBM technology, which you also mentioned. Secondly, is to challenge the customer by teaching them something new, tailoring insights, taking control, you know, the challenger sale. And lastly, as I, I mentioned, land and expand, you know, creating a, a compelling reason of value to, to take action, which I know once they see our value proposition, they will. So I'm making this transition. Does the challenger sale still apply in the current world? We talked about that last time. So Al, first of all, we are really lucky you're taking over this role. It's a huge role. I think you're going to be awesome at it. Like no one better, I think, to, to be in it. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. So is the challenger still applicable? I, I think it's more applicable now than it has been. And I would just simplify it in probably how most people deal with like their LinkedIn account. Every software organization, sales organization is pretty much running like comparable technology on outreach. And you know, like everybody's getting bombarded with a bunch of stuff. And if you're a decision maker in a large corporation that has a say in a kind of a large purchase, I can't even imagine how many communications you're getting. So think of that, the volume of stuff where everybody's using these outreach tools and, you know, the sales lofts of the world and, you know, every, every other CRM and kind of outreach tool. So how do you become relevant? You become relevant by being a challenger, by teaching. And I see it. I have a handful of sellers that I would put on the top 5% that the customer asked them to be on their advisory board post-project, post-deployment. Why? Because they bring such a strong point of view and they don't just accept things and go with it. They'll come back and they'll challenge them and they make them better. And I think at essence, that's what customers want. They want a business partner, someone who cares about them, who will challenge them, who won't just let them drive off a cliff because that's what they want to do, but will actually be in the boat with them to get to a better outcome. And, you know, I think more now than ever, it's the people who listen to these podcasts, who will write that crafted email, who will come with a point of view. You know, those are the people who are really going to excel. All right. I need another piece of advice from you. As I move to sales and speaking of our producer, Kate Maine, when I first told her I was making this transition and I, I kind of characterized the dynamics around the role, she just started laughing. And I said, why are you laughing? And she goes, because you preach all the time that leadership equals influence. And now you're in a position where you went from a, a couple thousand people to a lot of influence worldwide versus direct functional reporting in this role. How do you execute influence, get people to follow you uh, because they choose to not because you're weighing a heavy stick. I think that this is probably the most important thing you could do as a leader. I sometimes joke, they say like, I don't think I work that hard, right? Like I, I think if you were a, a roofer who was putting in roof, you'd be working a lot harder. The real work is figuring out the stone that you're going to throw into the water, knowing that your job is to set the right tone, to throw the right rock into the water and let the ripples kind of carry throughout the organization that are actually going to shift. And I think that's the key on influence is that not everything has to be an emergency or urgent. It's you got to know which of the priorities you're going to set. You got to set clear priorities so everybody knows what you stand for. 
you're going to hire really great people and give them space to be able to do their thing. And then you're going to inspire the team around your objectives. And I think that's the difference. Like, you know, people are looking for leadership. Either it's a direct line and you have compensation, you know, responsibility for me. You're going to decide how much bonus I'm going to make. Like that stuff matters a little. But what's more, uh, I think matters more to people, especially now, is inspiration. Like who is somebody that has a mission and a purpose and clarity and communication on that that I really want to wake up early for or put in the extra hours for and I believe in the purpose. And I think, Al, you have that, right? I think it comes from being authentic leader, right? Being empathetic, like being uh, clear on responsibilities. And ultimately, when you're getting asked to make decisions, you tend to make the right decision more than you make the wrong decision, right? A key part of it. Like the difference between a team and a family, some people refer to, you might've heard of this before. Some people refer to a group of people who work together as we're a family. And I actually don't think that. I think it's a team. Why? Because kind of like, you know, uh, Boston football, like Patriots football, I'm sure I'm stealing this from uh, other things that that uh, Kraft has said, but a team has to win. A family doesn't win, right? A family, I love my brother unconditionally, right? He could do whatever he wants. A team has to win. And if a team doesn't win, then you you fire the quarterback or you fire, you know, the coach. And I think part of that is having this shared uh, objective being really clear, hiring the right people, and providing a vision. And I think you do those things together, and it doesn't matter if they're a direct line, influence, whatever else. That's just what unites people to achieve something bigger than they would do just by themselves. That's great advice. Look, when we kicked this off last week, I have to say, one thing I'm already impressed with this team, the amount of engagement. I could not, I still haven't got to all the Slack questions. It was fantastic. It's a new team. I get there's a lot of questions, but the engagement, you know, last thing you want to hear is crickets. Yeah. What do they say? The opposite of love isn't, isn't hate. It's apathy, right? Yeah. It's like when you, when you get the, uh, the people not participating, that's when you should be worried. But even violent reaction and kind of alignment, misalignment, that's all part of the process of bringing a team together, right? And, and getting to the point of consensus and, and shared kind of direction. So one last question. I, I've got like a list I could keep going through, but I want to be respectful of time. Kate, and I'm going to go to you next in case there's anything that you wanted to ask that I have not asked because I she sits here and listens. She, you talk about zingers. She's the best. Oh, you're going to be scared. But let me let me ask you this as, as Kate's thinking about her, her quick question. Within all that, you may have said this, but what do you think motivates a core sales team above all? I mean, is it coin operated? Is it the strategy? Is it vision? What is the motivation that you rally behind? I think everybody just wants to win, right? And and win is defined in so many different ways. But I think people generally want to be on a winning team. And I think that's the fun and the compensation. And, you know, I, I think the idea that sellers are only motivated and coin-operated, like for sure there might be a period of time where that's important, but that's not sustainable over time. And, you know, if you really think about the best years you had and the worst years you had, outside of like real blowout years where it really made a difference, like the band is really not worth compromising happiness and health and fun to do it. So I think most people get it. They want to be surrounded by good people, fun people, people they trust that are hardworking and shared values. And they want to be part of a winning team, right? A team that celebrates each other and, you know, is inclusive and, you know, celebrates diversity and, you know, has a, a great leader and a great mission. You know, ultimately, I think that's what drives people. Especially, so. No, I think that's well stated just because, you know, so I come from services, expert lab services, 
I had a two-year stint there as I make a transition to core sales, technology sales. And look, I, I'll, I'll say last year was painful. Uh, we were doing a lot of transformation, but last two quarters were great. And, you know, we were winning. And it's amazing, once you start winning, people forget that pain, right? It's like that, you know, I'm sure that's the same thing in sports. I played a lot of sports. You know, your, your knee doesn't hurt quite as bad when you're winning. And I think that's probably well stated because now people are celebrating and boy, that's the fun of it, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you know, the, the ultimate nirvana is you get to the flywheel of success and confidence where more success breeds more confidence and more confidence breeds more success. You know, it takes a spark. It takes something to happen to make that, to get in that flywheel. But that's the most, that's the best times. If I think back in my career, it's working with a really talented group of people and being in that success confidence loop. And, you know, it just, they're irreplaceable, right? And I think a lot of people who have experienced them, it's a little bit like that show Lost. You look for the island, like, how do I get that again? How do I get that drug again? How do I work with that great people? It's very hard to find, uh, but when you find it, there's nothing that beats it. All right, Kate, we got a two-parter here for sure. But uh, look, I, I love talking to IL, as you can tell. Go ahead, what did I miss? Give him a zinger. Okay. Make him so, sweat a little. Oh, my, my question God. for the both of you is... Oh. A lot of the outcomes that you have talked about sound to me like they make the assumption that there is a shared understanding, a shared vocabulary, and that everybody is in agreement with what the goal is, right? To me, that sounds like there has to be a lot of communication. So I have a two-part question. One, what are your tips and tricks around creating a shared communication with mutual understanding. So that's the tactical part of it. And then two, as it goes to influence, how do you build that communication and that shared vocabulary and that shared understanding with whomever you're talking to? Because as you said, Al, we're always selling to everybody. I am selling to my daughter and my husband that you know we want to have Brussels sprouts for dinner tonight, right? So everybody is selling in some way all the time. How do you ensure that the communication is agreed upon and shared so that you have the same outcome and meaning? And then what are your strategies and actual tactical things around that? That is my question to you. CIL, I gave her too much time to think about the question. Oh my God. My, my failing, my fail. First part of the question around success is dependent on, on a shared alignment of what success is. It, it seems so subtle, but it's such an important part. In a complex sale like there is in 2022, there's so many different participants and parties and everybody has a slightly different motive. Exactly. There's a fundamental truth to a lot of these things, which is that companies are made up of people and the people really don't care about the business outcome. They mm -hmm. care about the politics of the business outcome. Like if I could be the one that solves the X problem, that probably means that I'll be promoted, which means I'll probably make more money, which means I can afford nicer things and have status. So a lot of it, it's the politics of the problem. And the only way you can't learn what that driver is and what the motivation is and what how somebody defines success, unless you spend time with them and build that trust where they'll actually open up and tell you. Because I think the, the public view of what's important will be the corporate line typically. Hey, we want to make sure this is a successful project. It takes some time to earn the trust to really know that they are up for a promotion and by them delivering this project on time and on budget is really going to be the difference maker for them to get to the next step. Right. And maybe somebody else who's part of the decision committee uh, isn't thinking about that same motivation for them. It's something else, right? My neighbor is a competing product. And if I don't go with them, it's going to be really uncomfortable in the soccer field where they coach. 
right? So a lot of it is spending time asking a lot of questions. Um, I think that's the first part. Uh, Al, do you want to add anything to that or do you want to take the second? Keep going. I'm listening right now. So I think the second part, which is like, how do you do it? You know, I, I always think of people as there's two parts. There's DNA, which is something that's just innate to a person, and then there's skills. And when it comes to communication, like a lot of this is skill related where there's some great books, right? Actually, I'm reading a great book called Crucial Conversations, which is all around like how to navigate things. And yes, a lot of these books it is. do a great job. Do you it's know on the book? my shelf, read it. I'm rereading it again this year. Fabulous book, it, fabulous right? book. How to approach little things of like when things get hostile, how to slow down, you know, how to navigate complex uh, scenarios. And there's skills that you could develop. When it comes to creativity and coachability, like, I actually think that those are innate to somebody. They're born with a, a level of creativity. You either have it or not. And you hire for those skills, right? Some of the best salespeople aren't blessed with the gift of gab as, you know, you kind of go to the Blarney Stone and kiss it for the gift of gab. And there's an ex expectation that a, a used car salesman is really good at kind of convincing anybody or swindling anybody. I think <laughs> the best enterprise salespeople are curious by nature, right? They want to know, hey, tell me, this is what you're saying, but that doesn't make sense to me. Or this is what everybody else is saying, and you're saying something different. Why? Explain to me why. And getting to the essence of it, you do those two things together. Kind of have that curiosity, have a good coach, be open for feedback, and then read these books and develop the skill around how to communicate. I, I think you do those things, and you'll be well on your way to a successful run. Al, your turn. I don't know if you want anything well, to add. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll jump. The good news is, see how I strategically let you go first. It gives me more time to think. <laughs> like a pro. Like you got to learn that trick, man. You got to. <laughs> I would answer it a little different way, and I don't know. This, this is another trick. You don't answer the question that was asked. You answer the question <laughs> that you want to answer. First of all, I think everybody is motivated by three things that I've often said: uh, is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You know, they, they want to um, have empowerment. Uh, they want to be really good at something and they want to have meaning in the role they have every day. Kate's also helped me to, you know, I didn't recognize that the acronym for that is AMP. So you could, you know, you, you AMP an organization up through autonomy, mastery, and purposes. I also believe in three things. I kind of, they're principles that I kind of rally a, a, around. One is for an organization to be successful, the first three are clarity of vision, having the right leaders and rewards and recognition. It's really no more than that. The leaders I look for are those that have the skills, that have the ability to, uh, to execute and the ability to influence, those three. And then the questions I always ask myself to make sure we're heading in the right direction is, who gives me energy? Who would I take out of here if you know if I was to walk? And I can't remember the third one. <laughs> See, that's what happens to the, the, the list. Yeah, I failed my own thing. But look, I think to answer your question, Kate, I think we yeah. gotta make people part of the, the solution. And that's tactically, you know, there, there's a fine line because you've got to execute quickly. But, you know, it's done through roundtables. It's done through vision with context. And I think the last part is very important. You can't just shoot out a vision and without the context as to why you have that vision. And I think a lot of leaders miss that. You know, you got to explain why and get people rallied around that. And then once you do, if it's something they can remember, they can say every day. I think it makes a, a huge difference. Like Microsoft, when they were really, really good, and they're, they're doing pretty good now, but they had a simple vision or mission to get a PC on everybody's desk. Boom. They know what they're getting up every day to do. Uh, nobody gets up every day to say, hey, I'm going to go make some more revenue today. It's got to be something that, me, that hits them in their soul. I do think we, we've done well in the, like, the latter-day AI, et cetera, because it's, it's a real simple 
process and vision of getting clients to modernize and, and, and embrace their digital transformation. But look, off the cuff, that's the, probably the best I'm going to give you. Vision with context is, is what you've got to provide. Okay. She hates my answer. I can tell. <laughs> that's okay. I think what I can take, I will say that vision with context is maybe a good meta way to contextualize what I was asking. I think that IL's comments around finding how that vision connects individually the person you're talking to, because it reinforces that it's people doing business, right? And so if you don't make that connection, whatever vision you may have, if it is not connecting and resonating with that individual human for whatever reason and doing all the probing questions. But I think I all the nuance that you brought in, which is so powerful, especially from that book on crucial conversations is around creating that I was, that's exactly where I was going, that shared pool of understanding, right? That shared pool of meaning and creating the safety so that people will tell you. And in, in times that we live in today with the pandemic, with all that's going on in the world, it's, it's such a valuable skill to invest in communicating with other people, whether it's to close a complex sale and have a long-term relationship and to be able to challenge, right? You can't, you can't challenge somebody if they're not listening to you. And so you gotta get them listening first and you gotta have that shared understanding. So that was really helpful to listen to you guys approach that. By the way, Very Kate, good. I was kind of kidding on the last one because you started with, we can't do any lists and uh, then I, I omitted the last one. But I, the, it, it was it was hilarious. I, I just was actually <laughs> our other producer won't find that hilarious, but I thought it was kind of funny. Anyway. I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very funny because no, every do. time you say, oh, it's fine. Anybody. Right. And then the exception <laughs> proves the rule. But I do want to finish it. It's, it's who gives me energy. Who would I take if I walked out of here and who demonstrates they can change their mind? That's a big one. Yeah. A lot of people won't demonstrate that. Hey, I'll, I love having you on, man. Al, I uh, asked you asked me the question, uh, what next year going to look like and come back? Let's let's do this again next year. We'll do a scorecard of how I did about some of the predictions if they actually all played through. I, I really appreciate the time. You are uh, such a master of what you do. I'm sure this new role is going to bring new challenges. It's going to energize you. Um, but I, I'm really grateful for having the chance to both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Consider you a friend, coach, mentor, all of those. So thank you so much. Thank you for being on uh, again, two-parter. Look, folks, thank you for listening. As I said to begin, please rate us, but also you know let us know how we're doing. AlMartinTalksData at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. See y'all. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.